On today's episode of Policy Wise, the more I learned about what was going on within the communities, the neighborhoods, uh, the more I found myself showing up at city council meetings during public comments. You're you are really leading the way that in your city and changing the definition of what is considered electable. Like a lot of times, even just on the basis of our name, we can be deemed unelectable. And that itself is such a motivating factor to say, okay, well, why not? Because I know plenty of people with the same name as me. They kept calling me the PTA mom. I ran with it and I said, you know what PTA moms do? We accomplish things. But I think it's a really rare thing um, that Michael and I can both attest to. It's one thing just to champion people in the polls, and it's another thing to champion people in the decision-making room. Oh, when I was doing my research, that's exactly how you were categorized in the media. We need to see more of that type of leadership where we're actually putting the community leaders at the front. We're not co-opting the culture. We're not taking something and making a message for our own political games. And that's something that I really do value in the leadership. But more on that later. Welcome to PolicyWise, a Youth Leadership Institute podcast. In November of 2020, history was made as Mayor Farah N. Khan became the 23rd Mayor of Irvine. Mayor Khan became the first woman of color to hold the position in Irvine and to be the first Muslim woman to lead a large city in the United States. Not to mention, she has also received the highest number of votes for the position of any mayor in the city's history. Today, we'll be talking with Mayor Khan about her election vision for the city of Irvine. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And it's so great to, to have you host you today, um, along with Monty, who's a program coordinator at Youth Leadership Institute, where she oversees the Nevada High School Student Advocacy Council and Marin Organizing for Racial Equity. She graduated from CSU Fullerton with a degree in international business and attends University of San Francisco, where she's pursuing her MS in international development, economics, and she hopes to pursue a career in anti-poverty and conflict resolution work following graduation and is an Irvine resident and passionate about dynamic local politics of Orange County. Thank you so much, Monty, for joining us today. Um, and so excited for this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Demi, if you wouldn't mind uh, if I get started, um, I'm just really excited to, to dive in. Uh, Mayor, Mayor Khan, I'd love to start with you. If you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to public service. What, what brought you here and, and how did you get to where you are today? You know, it, it was uh, quite organic. I never thought that I would be in politics. Um, uh, basically worked as a uh, regulatory affairs manager for a biotech company and then ended up going into small business and from there uh, into uh, the nonprofit world as an executive director. Um, and it was there really when I got to know, um, really kind of dive into the community and, and understand the needs of the community, uh, not only in Irvine, but uh, our nonprofit served Newport Beach and Costa Mesa as well. And so uh, the more I learned about what was going on within the communities, the neighborhoods, uh, the more I found myself showing up at city council meetings during public comments and, and sharing those um, needs and speaking up on behalf of the community and really seeing the face of leadership uh, be non-responsive. And so, um, you know, knowing who I was, I was like, I don't think I'm there, but maybe I can help elect the right people. So I started working behind the scenes as a volunteer for local campaigns. And it wasn't until 2015, I was um, 2014, 2015, when I was on uh, a local campaign as a volunteer coordinator, uh, we were having conversations and I mentioned, you know, that there wasn't much diversity on the council. And, you know, maybe one day I might run for council. And the response I got was, uh, 
quite stark. It was, you know, oh, you know, Irvine isn't ready for so much diversity in its leadership. And, um, you know, with a name like yours, it, you're pretty unelectable. And that got me thinking um, that, you know, hmm, if this is what people are thinking, then maybe we do need change because there's a lot of people that look like me and have name uh, a name like mine. And uh, I don't see why we couldn't be in leadership roles. That's incredible. I mean, I was just thinking that um, we're changing the face and you're, you are really leading the way in your city and changing the definition of what is considered electable. Exactly. Thank you. Um, so a few different things. First of all, I wanted to say, um, Farah, you made a really good point that you said that there are names like ours that are just unelectable and that we hear that a lot. And that is so true. Um, first, it's such a hard step to be taken seriously in these spaces. And then beyond that, it's such a hard step to even demand respect that someone pronounce my name correctly or that someone give me space in these places. So I think that you really made a good point that a lot of times, even just on the basis of our names, we can be deemed unelectable. And that itself is such a motivating factor to say, okay, well, why not? Because I know plenty of people with the same name as me, with similar ethnic backgrounds. So why not? Can I be in these circles? Um, then Michael, going back to what you said about getting started in these positions. Um, so again, like I'm also from Irvine in Southern California. And growing up in Irvine, I think was a really unique way to grow up within Orange County. I feel like there is growing up in Orange County and then there's growing up in Irvine specifically. Um, and Farah, maybe you can understand a little bit what I'm alluding to, just the demographics are so unique. And it's so interesting to come from a place where on one hand you have a lot of privilege being part of a model minority. And then on the other hand, you're still very heavily discriminated against and looked down upon by other members of the larger Orange County community. So it's really interesting complex to grow up under. And I think it really just does make you start questioning your identities from a very young age. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I know, you know, personally, I didn't grow up in Orange County, but I know a lot of our listeners do. And it's so nice to kind of shed light on some of the more nuanced experiences of people who grow up in that region. Turning the question back to Mayor Khan for a second. Um, you discussed this a bit, but you've shattered quite a few glass ceilings. I was wondering if you could tell us about how your identity um, impacted your vision of your job, particularly in such a unique environment like Orange County. You know, for me, it was always about um, giving back to the community. It was uh, being that voice, that representative uh, of the community and, and seeing those needs there. Um, so for me, I didn't see myself as, you know, a Muslim woman or, you know, a, a South Asian woman. I saw myself as a member of the community. And if I had the ability to speak up uh, for people that maybe weren't comfortable speaking up, then then that was my responsibility to do so. And so in, in running the campaign, you know, it, I think people resonated with that because, I, you know, a lot of people came back at me and they discounted the fact that I was a regulatory affairs manager for a major biotech company or that I ran my own business or that I was an executive director of a nonprofit. They kept calling me the PTA mom. And um, because, yes, I was a, a PTA president. I was very involved in PTA, but that's how they would refer to me is, oh, the PTA mom is running. So instead of taking that as a, um, you know, a hit, I ran with it. And I said, you know what PTA moms do? We accomplish things. 
And that got a lot of people motivated as well. It's like you have to take those hits and turn them around because, yeah, have you seen PTA moms and the amount of time they put in to their child's school and the energy that they bring to the table? We we raise funds, we get things done, and we take care of our kids. And so if that's the kind of um, person you want uh, on the council, then you would elect me. And so I think that really changed the dynamic of the conversation was, you know, you 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 are who you are. And yes, I have many different roles that I play, but all of them contribute to who I am as a whole. In doing research for this conversation, I started to know you as the PTA mom. And so I find that the fact that you raised that now was very interesting to me um, because I was sitting here like, oh, when I was doing my research, that's exactly how you were categorized in the media. And so I guess my curiosity is, and, and you mentioned seeing yourself as a member of the community um, before seeing, during the election at least, before seeing yourself as a Muslim woman. Do you think that the community saw you in the same way or how did you face that in the media? And maybe what was your strategy to, to, to combat that or how do you deal with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, campaigning and, and being in politics is rough. It's it's an ugly sport and you get targeted for um, things that you do or even don't do, you know. And so for me, um, being targeted as a Muslim woman, that's something that came up every each and every time. And, um, you know, again, uh, because of the work that I've done in the community in the past, the, the relationships that I'd built, uh, every time that had come up, I had, you know, pastors, I had rabbis, I had uh, imams and, and um, you know, temple leaders reach out and speak on behalf of me saying that we know who she is and we've worked with her. And so a, a lot of it has to come from, you know, you can't defend yourself all the time. Sometimes you need that support. And if you have those relationships that are already built, then that support comes up. Monty, I'm wondering if you could share some of your thoughts on this about uh, maybe how your identity is overlapped with your politics, as well as, you know, your general thoughts on Mayor Khan's statements. I think the identity within the South Asian community, especially for South Asian Americans, is really nuanced because for people who are looking in on our community, they're like, brown is brown, that's it. And then for so many of us within the community, um, we have so many layers. So for me personally, I think that the place that I tend to lead from is within my community, I'll identify as Punjabi or I'll identify as Desi. And all of these things help me lead because on the one hand, it ties me to a smaller community that has its own rich history within the US and its own language, its own geography, its own culture. And then on the other hand, using terms like South Asian or Desi, I think connects me to a larger group with shared history and with shared geography and shared culture. So we have a lot of intricacies in terms of our identity and it all shapes the way that we lead. And I think that part of coalition building for the community specifically is learning how to operate within these larger identities. And yes, a lot of times, I think that people forget um, just how big the diaspora can be. We're talking about over a billion people that can identify under the term South Asian. And the idea that one person can properly represent and speak on behalf of, of all those people is just not possible. And that's why when we do elect leaders, so Farah, for example, when we do elect leaders, it's one thing just to champion people in the polls, and it's another thing to champion people in decision-making rooms. And I think that that's something that Farah has done really well, and not just I am campaigning really boldly on behalf of South Asian people, but then also representing those people in office and creating unity. Um, something that I thought was really notable was that you passed the proclamation for Sikh awareness 
um, Sikhism is a minority community within South Asian culture. So to see it represented by another South Asian woman who even may not, even though you may not have claims to that specific identity, but you can still see that we have that shared history again, we have that shared culture. I thought that was a really bold thing just to see. And again, that's just part of coalition building. So yeah, going back to your question, the identities are really intricate and they're really intense, but I think that the beautiful part of that is that it can really tie us together in a lot of commonalities. And Mansi, I, I love that you brought that up because um, for me, you know, when we talk about diversity in our city, it, it's not just about saying, oh, we're a diverse city. It's about celebrating that diversity. It's about um, making sure that people understand um, and get to know each other. And so uh, outside of the Sikh proclamation, I also passed the uh, uh, Hindu um, awareness proclamation. And for me, it, it's this is how we kind of introduce the diversity in our communities. It's um, letting people know that, you know, we're, we're not just going to tout that we have a certain percent of people in our city that are diverse, but it's that we celebrate them. And that's very important to me. Absolutely. I'm really curious, how how are these proclamations received by the community? I mean, I'm sure, at least in my perspective, when I think of Orange County, I think of a very polarizing environment um, politically. And so I'm just wondering what the response might have been, or maybe I'm wrong on on my perception of Orange County. They've always been positive, you know, um, and every time we've done it, I mean, I've done it for the Filipino community. I've done it for um, the Latino community uh, and, and for just about anyone. And right now we're working on Black History Month and we're making sure that we not only send out the proclamation, but also that we have some programming and events that tie into it that actually bring the community together. Um, and so it, it's been very positive. Um, yeah, of course, there's going to be people that are just like, well, why are you doing this? And and why are we highlighting this group or that group? Uh, you'll always get that. But on the whole, it's been very positive. I am curious, I, and I kind of want to get a little bit into the weeds on some of your policy um, initiatives. We've just spoken about um, two of your amazing proclamations. But I was wondering if you could uh, maybe talk a little bit about the HERO um, initiative and how maybe your perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion has influenced um, the HERO paying system. Sure. Well, you know, Heroes Pay came out of um, the pandemic uh, where we, you know, a lot of people were able to work from home um, and, and stay safe. But we saw that our grocery workers and, you know, people in pharmacies, they were continuously uh, put in danger. They were out there. They were serving the community. Uh, they were in the public space, um, not because, you know, they had a choice, but because that's what they had to do. And they continued doing that. And when we also saw that a lot of them were ones that were getting um, uh, affected by this. And so the Heroes Pay was really kind of um, giving back to them, saying, hey, you know what, we we recognize that you did this work. Um, we recognize that you served the community at large. And if we can help by just giving you $4 more in your pay, um, then that hopefully helps you out a little bit. And again, it, it's it's minimal. But it, it sent us a very strong message. And I think that was what was really important. And when we heard stories from our um, grocery workers at, at the city council meeting when we were voting on this item, uh, you heard the pain in their voices. You heard the struggles that they were going through, that they were scared that every time they went to work and came home, were they bringing something back to their families? Were they going to affect their families? And if they got sick, who was going to take care of them? And so um, that's why uh, that was very, very important. Uh, to pass. And, 
you know, businesses always come in and they're like, you know, it's going to hurt us. And, and uh, I kept going back and saying, look, look at the grocery stores. They're making, you know, just amazing profits right now because people are at home all the time. They need to get food and they need to um, cook food. They need to eat. And, and they're, we're seeing those profits come through. So if you can share that with the workers that are on the front lines, that's what's needed right now. And so I was really happy that our council passed that initiative. And I think it kind of um, encouraged other cities to do the same. And it's exciting to he hear some like innovative new ideas, which I think maybe have been forced upon us through the pandemic, but um, it's really excited to, to learn about. Manzi, I wanted to ask, uh, from your perspective, are these kind of initiatives being well recognized amongst like the youth in Irvine? Um, and are there other uh, initiatives which youth are looking forward to? For example, um, Mayor Khan has also passed an ordinance to make Irvine carbon neutral by 2030. Oh, I absolutely think so. So I will say that's one thing that's really interesting about young people in Irvine. Are they so engaged, so, so engaged. And I think that we saw this a lot with the election last year. So I think we mentioned earlier that um, when Farah won, she won with an outstanding number of votes. It wasn't just a small victory. And I think that the young people had a lot to do with that. So I remember in the months leading up to campaigning, just seeing so many people getting involved in your campaign specifically, and also in campaigns for city council. And getting involved at the local level is so different than getting involved at say the federal or the state level, because Again, oftentimes when you're getting involved at the federal or state level, these are paid internships or there's a lot of more, there's a lot more access and something heavier you can put on your resume. With local elections, you're typically not going to get any sort of money out of it. You're really just working because you believe in these public servants. And I think that says a lot when you can get young people to rally for people in local elections because they're probably not going to be putting this on their resume. They're probably not going to be getting anything else out of it. It's strictly because they believe in people. And the number of young people that showed up to rally for you and for other city council members was because we were excited about things like being carbon neutral as a city and because we want things like the HERO Act to have been passed. And we see that a lot with our um, high school students as well. Um, I'll say the high schools in Irvine are so politically engaged. I mean, I remember having voter reg drives from a really, really young age. And I think it's really telling just of the political climate that we've created that is so inclusive of young people because so many more often than not, I think that young people are either sidelined to the conversation or they're tokenized in terms of, well, we had one person on our committee to represent the, the youth and that's essentially it. And that's so different than actually giving young people space in town hall meetings. And I think you, I just saw something that you had created this town hall for high schoolers, I believe. and. Initiatives like that just really speak to the connection that the city is trying to make and the, the um, availability that they're trying to create between themselves and young people. Absolutely. You know, I hold a quarterly town hall with our middle and high schoolers. Um, and uh, every quarter we set a date, we get them on, on Zoom. And, and this is a time for me to share with them the updates that I have and a time for me to listen in on what's important to them. And I'll tell you, there's a lot that um, our kids have to say. And, uh, you know, for me, it was very important to make sure that they were involved, not just on the campaign side, uh, but also as decision makers, that when I'm making my decisions that I'm hearing from them as well, um, kind of seeing what it is that they're interested in, what policies they like me to bring forward, where they stand on certain issues. And um, 
like this past one, we had one on Saturday morning. Um, our, our main topic of conversation was the recent um, racist remarks that were made at one of our high school basketball players uh, by a Laguna Hills um, student. And that was really important to them. And, and you know, they basically told me, they're like, keep putting that pressure because we are seeing it and we need it. And so this is really important because now I know that um, even though I'll have people calling in and saying, oh, you're just making this a political issue, I know there's a community behind me that wants me to keep pushing forward and I'll continue pushing forward until we get the resolve that we need. So yeah, having having our youth at the table is so, so important. These are really recent things that we that you've initiated yourself and that we've seen only come to life in Irvine within the past few months or so. Um, because I remember before before you, so we had just talked about in you know, the proclamations you had passed for Hindu awareness and for Sikh awareness and all the work that you're doing for community building. And personally, I feel like the opposite of that was represented um, in terms of your predecessor. And I know that a lot of other people in Irvine felt that way. Um, I, I just, I still remember that there was an incident in which the former mayor, Christina Shea, had taken a Hindu holiday and then had posted about it and tied it to a Blue Lives Matter movement, completely co-opting the, co-opting the culture and drawing a line that does not exist and making connections that really just do not need to be publicized. And I have to say the stark shift uh, about just a year later from going from that kind of a mentality to seeing someone who's actually initiating these really important conversations and putting the community at the forefront is so stark. And I think that that fearlessness to work with the community from a point of love and of respect is so noted. And I think that we really do need to see more of that type of leadership where we're actually putting the community leaders at the front. We're not co-opting the culture. We're not um, taking something and making a message of our own political gains. And that's something that I really do value in the leadership. One of the things, one of the reasons that I actually ended up running for mayor, um, just being elected on, onto the city council in 2018, was that the messaging from our leadership was just on the wrong side of everything. It was just... Um, you know, when we were having um, Black Lives Matter um, um, protests in our city, all which were peaceful, which were very family oriented. We had kids out there. We had parents out there. We had community members that were raising issues that were very valid. Um, and all they wanted to do was be heard. And instead, that turned into a, a very nasty effort of, you know, um, the community versus the police, where, you know, I was portrayed as someone that was very anti-police and I wanted to bring um, violence into our city. And and that just didn't sit well with me. And so um, I think that was like the nexus of when I decided that I would run um, against the uh, our incumbent uh, mayor and really put the community at the forefront, because that's who we are here for, is we are representing the communities. And for me, this is just a, a, a seat for the time being, where it's not a um, you know, a political career for me. So if you don't elect me, fine, I'll still do the work. If you elect me, fine, I'll do more work. Um, but it's not where it ends for me. And I think that's really important when we're looking at political leaders is to find those that don't see this as a career path, but see it as a way to represent their own communities. I'd love if we can just drill more into what has been happening at these these town halls. What are you hearing uh in addition to this conversation, what other conversations are our middle and high schoolers having and, and how does that really support your work or, or how does it alter your work? I'm really curious. 
I think you know. Uh, I think our our kids are very much uh, in tune with what's happening um, with climate, and so they they want to see more when it comes to environmental programs. And so one of our students actually was talking about um, the Green Ribbon Environmental Committee that the city has, and um, right now it has uh, appointed members and two at large members from the community. And they were like, you know, you guys talk about these things. We call in and we voice our uh, message, but I don't think it goes anywhere. So last year, I made sure that we had two seats that were specifically for middle and high schoolers uh, to be on that committee, uh, to be able to have a seat at the table and be a part of those decision-making um, uh, situations. And so, uh, you know, it's it's really kind of hearing from them where they want to provide input, where they want uh, to have their voices heard and opening those doors for them. And, um, you know, besides the environment, uh, a lot of times it's about schools and I really don't have jurisdiction over schools. That's their elected school board members. But I'm there to guide them like here. This, these are the people you need to contact. Uh, this is how you want to present yourself. This is how you want to uh, make your argument stronger and really give them the tools that they need uh, to be successful. I love this idea. In, in addition to, to all the things that you just mentioned, right, like the conversations that they're able to have. But it's also imagine how they'll they'll develop as adults and how much that you know that's going to change the culture of the city in those kids like they're not it's not just a conversation for children to be having at this time it's just going to fizzle into nowhere like they are developing and it's going to grow on this knowledge oftentimes you know i think these conversations with communities are seen as places that are not for kids um and that kids should not be part of those conversations and because of that you know you have a lot of children i'll say like myself that did not Politics went just like this. It was a very <laughs> irrelevant conversation until I was sitting in my government class like this has been happening this whole time right. and nobody told me. <laughs> and that's when the conversation starts. But at that point, you know, you're 17, 18, maybe a little too late and, and you don't get to develop in that same way. So I, yeah. I don't have a question in there, but I just love <laughs> the way that this uh, helps develop the kids in Irvine. I also love that it's such like a like this humanist approach is like I feel like so inspired by the PTA attitude and it's just really nice to see it come full circle um, and just see how prioritized children are being on every single level. So um, thank you for just adding that inspiration. And I think although we're talking about it here as if it's like something so obvious and it seems like you're making it such a huge part of your work um, where it might seem obvious to your work, but I think it's a really rare thing. Um, that Michael and I can both attest to hadn't been a part of um, maybe our own upbringing. So thank you. Um, Monzi, I want to come back to you and ask you what you think uh, a unique role that young people might play in engaging in their city going further. Um, so looking at the stuff that's happening now, what other ways do you think that they might be involved and what topics do you think are going to be particularly important going forward? In terms of topics, I really don't think you can talk about young people without talking about climate change. Um, I feel like that will just always be consistently at the forefront of any discussion where you have young people because we're the ones affected by it most, right? Um, I would also say that in Irvine specifically, in Orange County specifically, we have really interesting conversations in regards to racial equity. And I think young people play a really interesting role in that because I, mean, I, can, only, I can see from my experience as well, when you're in Orange County, and you're aware that you're in this place that is largely right-leaning, that is largely white, that has a very large population, that is upper-class, big donors to big right-wing campaigns, but at the same time, you're kind of in your own enclave of 
these really richly diverse minority communities that have their own culture and that have their own roots in Orange County as well. So within that, you kind of have to learn how to balance um, both the privileges that you have being, whether that's minority, model minority privilege, white privilege, whatever it may be, but then also at the same time recognizing what work am I doing to within this community to push racial equity forward. And I bring this up because I would say that during a lot of the Black Lives Matter movements that started happening in 2020, these are the conversations that we were having in, in Southern California. Yes, Irvine is not, Irvine is an extremely diverse area that obviously does not exclude it from anti-Blackness. So that meant having the deeper conversations of how does anti-Blackness permeate into our own South Asian cultures? How does it permeate within Asian culture in general? So these are conversations that are really complex for young people to be having. And for us to be having it, we need to really be guided in terms of what racial equity is, what it looks like, and what progress we can be making within our own communities. And I really don't think that I've seen that level of conversation happening before that. Um, because again, it is such an intricate level for middle schoolers and high schoolers to be talking about racial equity on this basis. A lot of times it can be presented as in a very black and white kind of way, but this is not like that. And the complexities are incredible. So I really do think that young people have been leading these conversations within their own communities. I can say specifically within the Desi community, um, the conversations that we've been having about colorism and how it's contributing to our own perception of other people in America. Um, these are really deep, difficult conversations to be having, but again, it starts with young people leading those conversations within our communities, with our parents, with other people, with stakeholders. And I, I, I do think that it's a really lucky, it's a really fortunate thing. It's a very lucky thing that we have places like town halls in Irvine, that we have such involved young people. We have things like youth action team on our high school campuses that provide spaces for these dialogues to be happening. So it's not like they're taking place in isolation, but they're taking place under guidance, which is so helpful because then it actually can translate into change. It can actually be molded and sculpted as opposed to just a conversation that kind of happens in oblivion. I'm really excited that this is being brought up. I think it's a conversation. The idea about the complexities of race and how equity is like actually achieved, I think, is something facing every single community in California, if not like the entire world at this moment. And um it's exciting to hear that Irvine is taking a, like a massive step to reach these. I know like a lot of attention has been given to the affirmative action case at Harvard right now on like a grand U.S. scale, and obviously, uh, affirmative action has a very shifty place in California. But I'm wondering, um, kind of. What have these conversations led to? I, I'm not, it sounds like there's not like a clear answer of where it should go. And I don't know if there ever will be a clear answer, but what have these conversations guided you to conclude in your own mind about ways that equity, racial equity can be achieved uh, within Irvine? And um, I'll give it to uh, Mayor Khan first and then pass it over to you, Monzi. Sure. And I know you mentioned earlier about the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee and uh, that was really important. I tried to pass that um, in 2020. And uh, at the time, the council and leadership just was not having it. And so uh, I guess the, um, in December of 2020, when I was uh, sworn in as, as mayor, January, our first meeting in January was when I brought it up again, and it passed unanimously. 
uh, it, it passed because we understand the difference between uh, what you see in affirmative action and what you can do with equity. And really for the committee's role was to provide that level playing field for everyone. So I'm um, looking at government jobs as we're hiring at the city level. Are we reaching out to those communities that normally wouldn't apply for these jobs or wouldn't even know how to? Are we providing them with those tools? And uh, one of the most important things that came out of this is uh, recently when our police were hiring, they started putting out ads in multiple languages. So they had ads in Korean, they had ads in, um, you know, uh, Farsi and Chinese and Vietnamese and and even Hindi and Urdu. And it was really to reach out to those community members saying, this is your community. If you want to take charge of it, come and work with us. And um, one of our officers actually came out um, during council meeting and shared his experience. He was uh, not only Vietnamese, but he was also gay. And he said, for me, uh, it was very difficult to even think of a path in, in being a police. My community didn't want me to be there. My family didn't want me to be there. But it was the, the department that actually kind of uh, opened their doors to him. And now he wants to open those doors even further. Is The more rep representative people we have in these leadership roles, the better your community is going to be because they understand what the community's needs are. They understand the dynamics of a community. They understand how to respond in certain situations. And that's what we need to see happen. So we're looking at that not only from the hiring perspective, but also through our business, through our vendorship. Uh, when we're looking for vendors or consultants, are we reaching out to those people that normally would not be uh, doing business with government agencies? Are we providing them with the tools and, and the uh, necessary um, uh, you know, necessary uh, training that they need so that they are capable of bidding and, and um, competing with others. And that's really what equity is all about. It's about making sure that everyone has the same opportunity and it's up to them to go out and get it. Um, it's making sure that you are not um, presenting a, a plan before someone and there's someone that knows what to do, knows how to do it, and there's someone that wants to do it but doesn't even know how. That's where you have the, the, the disparity. And for us, our job is to make sure that each and every person that wants to achieve that goal has the tools necessary to succeed. And that's, that's what equity, that's what we really hope that our committee is going to do. Uh, and they've come up with so many different um, programs that uh, I'm just so proud of. I mean, we have our, our welcome committee in Mandarin that just started a nine-part series in uh, welcoming newcomers to our city. When you come and you don't know who to go to for certain things or uh, how to enroll your kids in school or who to reach out when your light doesn't work, who do you call? And so there was this nine-part series that educated them in Mandarin uh, exactly where to go, who to reach out to, provide them with those um, basic tools to help them thrive in the community. And we hope to replicate that for many other community members. Um, right now, we're trying to do an oral history project with our African-American community. Um, making sure that we know we have a population, whether it's 2% or not, that they're highlighted and people know what they're all about. Um, so this, these are the type of issues and, and the steps that are being taken um, that are important in the long run. Um, this is how you make a community really uh, thrive. And these, these, I mean, this sounds incredible. I'm so happy that you're you're doing this work. I'm wondering what are 
what are some of the biggest challenges? What what do you think are some of the things that take more time that you're trying to work on? And really, you know, especially with policy change and, and political attitudes and political changes, I think at this point we recognize that it has to continue and the ball has to continue rolling forward. And so I'm curious, you know, how are you starting to build a foundation for the next person to pick up and continue running? You know, really right now, um, our council uh, on on a majority is working so well. We're so diverse, um, not only in um, our political backgrounds, but also in our uh, um, ethnicities. Uh, but we, I think the majority of us understand the goal of serving the community. And so uh, we have our opposing views, but we are working together. We are compromising. We are finding ways to continue moving forward. And people are seeing that. The community is seeing that we're not just up there arguing with each other and um, trying to grandstand. We're actually getting to the nitty gritty of uh, each issue and and reaching out to community, the community and getting things done. And I think that's something that uh, once the community sees, they're not going to want to go back to anything else. They're going to want to see this continue on. And so it's the demonstration of progress. Exactly. I, I think that people need to feel that something is changing. Um, to be encouraged by it. Absolutely. Masi, what, what, what do you think? What do you think needs, uh, or what do you think maybe is the key to the future and can, making sure that this change continues? I think it's always scary to imagine that that uh, there maybe will, might be a day where there won't be a mayor as great uh, as the one on this call. And maybe we'll have to pick up the fight in another way. How do you think the future, what do you think our role is in the future? I think that Farah said something really notable earlier on. She said that whether or not I'm elected again, the work continues. And that is just so telling of how public service should really work in general. The work continues whether or not you're in the role, right? The Your own individual growth, the conversations within your community, that continues regardless of whether or not you're in the position itself. So yes, in the future, we may not have as wonderful as a mayor. That doesn't mean that the work is going to end. And another thing I will say is that Again, we were talking about diversity and then affirmative action as well. When you're talking about a community like Irvine, this is a community that really, really values education. Um, I, I don't think that you can really separate education from the intrinsic value of what makes Irvine, Irvine. And it's such a highly educated community. And so when we have these conversations about college admissions and about how diversity plays a role, this can be a little divisive. And it's definitely been a really prominent conversation that people have been having because the Asian American population is so large in Irvine. It's so large. Every year we are sending so many students to the top colleges in the country. So naturally conversations regarding admissions is definitely at the forefront of a lot of, of policy and a lot of conversations just that we're having in general. So I do think that moving forward, while we do need to keep creating spaces for these conversations to be happening, I also think that we generally just do need a lot more guidance as to how we're framing a lot of this work. I think that, you know, like any immigrant community, the larger it gets, the more it can kind of get stuck in little microcosms, or we can really just branch off and then get stuck in our smaller mindsets. And I think I do see that a lot within the Asian American community. And the thing is, when the more fractured you get, the harder it is to build a coalition, the harder it is to build strength, and that can be politicized against us. And that's something that I do see happening a lot within California and within America in general, is when a community doesn't have that sense of unity within itself, 
it is much easier to pit people against each other. And when we have conversations regarding affirmative action, regarding college admissions, so many times people can just get stuck into these traps of there's a limited, this, this ideology that there's a limited number of seats. We are each each other's competition. Instead of building un unity, we're just going to be fighting each other at, and be at each other's throats. Whoever makes it in, makes it in, but we're not going to celebrate the wins of the community anymore. We're just celebrating our own wins. And that kind of mindset is extremely disruptive. And it's really just doing more harm for a generation that already has large issues regarding mental health, large issues regarding competition within their own cultures and communities. So we really do need to work on reframing these narratives. And I think a lot of that does start within, with just building more unity within these communities. Again, size makes a difference. Naturally, people will just gravitate towards those that they have more in common with in regards to culture, language, geography within their own spaces. But that doesn't mean that you need to lose your overall sense of community. We can still return to these community building structures. We can still return to unity and actually celebrate the wins of the community instead of demonizing these wins and looking at, oh, that's one less spot for me because that is not how the system should be working. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And I want to direct the conversation towards something that I think is a huge part of Irvine. And I know, um, Mayor Khan, you mentioned this as a, an important part of your campaign and your leadership is an emphasis on technology and innovation. And I think oftentimes when I consider technology and innovation, I think a lot of young people consider technology and innovation, it's almost put it up against you know, the good of the whole. It's usually like a competition to see who can innovate the most um, or who can, you know, do the most. So I want to know how you envision technology and innovation within your own leadership um, and how you plan to promote equity along with technology and innovation. So um, in this past December, um, and this is something that I've been working on for a while, uh, I really wanted to I wanted to create this innovation center and the idea behind it was uh, pretty much trifold. It was uh, making sure that our uh, tech, AI, med tech businesses in the city uh, would thrive and continue being headquartered here, providing those necessary jobs. And at the same time, uh, provide a pipeline for our students coming out of our high school and colleges in the city. And, um, and then our venture capitalists, people that actually invest in these type of startups, um, what they were doing. And it was a connection of the three, making sure that uh, one, that we brought all of them together. Um, so in December, we did launch the Innovation Council, which included all of our um, uh, major executives from the tech and AI industry, our venture capitalists, our investors, and our educational institutions to make sure that we are creating a pipeline. And, and the interesting part of this is we're gonna start again, we're gonna go low, for middle and high schoolers um, to get them to start thinking about uh, ideas that they have, present those ideas in a forum in front of these investors that will give them guidance on how to grow those ideas. Um, not only that, but make sure that when a new job start up in Irvine, that they're opening their doors to kids that are graduating out of Irvine, providing internships for those kids, giving them the experience. And at the bottom of it all is making sure that it is, again, with that DEI component, that it is making sure that we are paving those paths for those um, 
that are that fall under the minority spectrum that uh, usually will not um, consider jobs or um, education in the sector, uh, would not think that they were capable of creating a startup, um, giving those uh, kids like girls and, and minority kids that that lift that they need to make sure that, you know, if you have an idea that you think you, you want to create a company out of, go for it. And we're going to be there um, to support you in making that happen. So we know the money is here. Um, and now I know because now they're joining in this in, uh, innovation council and we're making sure that they're investing that money back into our communities. And that's what's going to be really important is as we become this innovation hub of Southern California, we're not just doing it for the businesses. We want them to thrive and succeed and we're going to help them. But we're making sure they're giving back to the community so that our kids are thriving and succeeding. And, and, and it becomes a real uh, ecosystem that works. I really like um, what you're saying about a pipeline because having that pipeline of opportunity is so important because there are so many times when students might get exposure at one level and then all the opportunities can just drop off. So actually creating a way for um, kids and students to continue building on that growth is really nice to see and it's really important. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I know that we're we're kind of running up on time, so we're going to move into the final question. But my my graduate capstone project is about building regional career pathways. So just I'm feeling the energy of this conversation. I don't want to grandstand because I'll take up the rest of the time just talking about how important it is to build out these pathways um, and give people a vision for the future that when they start school, that they will have an opportunity in this sector that they want to be successful in and having those jobs available. Um, for both of you, as we start to close out, would really love to know just you don't have to expand on it. Just one thing that you would love to change about uh, would love to change about the place that you love. And I can see the passion in both of your eyes when you talk about Irvine. Um, but no place is perfect. And so I'm curious what that one place would be. And then also, what is your message to the young people who would be looking to get involved in policy and politics who might be the ones that bring about the change with you um, that you would like to see within your city? I really do think that a lot of people in Irvine can really start to question the privileges that come with being part of a model minority group. And I think that we saw that a lot. So there was a, a plan to develop affordable housing within Irvine that met a lot of resistance from members of the Irvine community for fears of safety and for fears as to what this would mean for their housing values and things like that. Because there was you know, we wanted to build more affordable housing in Orange County and Irvine was designated as a place to potentially do this and it didn't go through. So I think that that just raises a lot of questions as to, yes, we may be a diverse community, but again, question that diversity, question where that's coming from and the place that we hold within it. Just because we're diverse does not mean that we are free of bias or privilege. So if there was something I could change, it would definitely just be trying to initiate more conversations where people are really look, taking a deeper glance as the, at the privileges that they hold and how they might be gatekeeping certain parts of the community. We can't gatekeep this community from other people who really deserve to live here and to have access to a good education and to have access to such a clean city and things like that. We cannot gatekeep that on the basis of um, race, especially. And a message to young people, I would just say that Irvine is abundant in opportunity in terms of getting involved, in terms of making a difference, there is really no end to the ways that you can get involved. So don't be afraid to start getting involved early. I promise that there are ways that you can actually feel like 
you're contributing and that you're being heard. I, there are circles for young people where you're probably going to be tokenized. I can tell you, you're probably not going to feel like that if you start getting involved in Irvine. So yes, it's a little scary to kind of get into that field, but you just need to know that you're probably not going to be asked to represent all young people with your one opinion, but you will actually be taken for your opinion. So that's really an important thing. And I think that that should help motivate people to see what sort of changes they can start making within their communities. And I'm just so, so excited that Mansi started talking about affordable housing because that's what I was going to say. If there was one thing I could change, it would be the concept that people have around affordable housing. Um, and, you know, they don't realize affordable housing I- includes uh, workforce housing as well. So when we're looking at creating all these jobs for people to to have in our city, um, those people need to live here as well. And so um, it, it's it's I you just I, I just loved it. I just was grinning the whole time that you when you started off talking about it. I was like, yes, that's my point too. I love it. We're in sync right now. Um, but yes, I just want people to understand that when they move to Irvine, and I know a lot of families have the story. This is my story too. Uh, when I moved from Northern California down to Southern California, we were looking for a safe place. My kids were little. They were like one in three. We wanted good schools for them. This is what every family is seeking. So when you get here, you can't close the door for others because they're seeking that same dream. And that's something that people need to understand is that you had the opportunity to come in. You had the opportunity to give your kids the best education, live in a safe environment. So does every other person. And so for me, as we're moving forward in the next few years, um, housing is going to be a top priority. And I just want everyone in our community to understand that we are better, not only together, but as a growing community, uh, we have to have those open doors. And so uh, that's the one thing that I, I really want everyone to hear loud and clear. And for our youth, I always tell them, I say, you know what, uh, take my experience, be open to change. Um, don't ever think that if you are headed in one direction and it doesn't work out that there aren't other options. There are always options in life. Um, you're going to fail. You're going to find other ways to succeed um, and be open to that change. Um, you know, for me, I thought I was going to be in biotech for the rest of my life and retire out of there. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, then I started my business and I thought that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a small business owner. And, and you know, uh, that changed. Um, and so uh, came into the nonprofit world. And from there, here I am in politics and who knows what's next. And so be open to change because that's also a part of growing. Uh, you don't stop growing when you're young. You keep continuing to grow and learn as you're getting older. And the minute that you stop growing and learning, that's when things get stagnant. That's when change doesn't happen. And that's when we see our lives not get better. So be open to change, be open to growing, be open to learning and be open to like changing your mind every once in a while. And I think that's really important and always get involved. Even if you feel like you're not being heard right now, continue talking because you are going to pave that path forward for yourself and others. I don't even know how to end after that. So, <laughs> but but what I think the one of the things I'm deriving from what you're saying, um, Farah, is lift as you climb. Don't just do the work, but bring other people in after you. Absolutely. And, tried to build on that and to envision the future and not just operate on what currently is but also what should be that's my attempt at closing so thank you so much for joining with us yeah so great to meet both of you thank you thank you 
Thank you for having us. This was PolicyWise, an intergenerational podcast by Youth Leadership Institute focused on bringing young people into the policy conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PolicyWisePod. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, please slide into our DMs or send us an email at policywise at yli.org. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes.